0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place, customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk and these are your headlines. Headlines.
2: Theresa May, the British Prime Minister, so far resisting calls from several of members of her own party to step down as Prime Minister. This as she suffers the 36th ministerial resignation of her premiership. This time Andrea Ledson steps down as leader of the House uh, as she says she can't work with Theresa May's new Brexit deal.
1: Patience is key for the Federal Reserve as minutes reveal the central bank could keep rates steady, quote, some time,
3: a top Huawei executive tells CNBC the Chinese smartphone maker could be ready to launch its own operating system this year if it can no longer use Google's or Microsoft's. Qualcomm shares plummet after a U.S. court rules that the chipmaker violated antitrust laws by illegally suppressing competition. Stateside in the red not traveling a great deal during the session but still in the red as we closed up shop and you can see a percentage force fairly modest the Nasdaq weathering more of the downside again as investors weigh up some of the tech issues around Huawei being shut out of the market and being given a three-month reprieve it's been a huge issue and we keep on seeing the ramifications across a number of different chip makers the overall index down about four-tenths of a percent also ruling around Qualcomm and uh, its competition in the states uh, did unsettle some investors, Qualcomm being one of the main uh, chip makers in the 5G space. But uh, across the board, uh, Dow Jones transports underperformed. They closed out in correction territory. Often there's a signaling function around the Dow Jones transports. The um, overall market also uh, just knocked uh, a little bit by some of the concerns around trade. And what we've got now, uh, fresh commentary from the White House. Steve Mnuchin talking about The rest of the tariffs, $300 billion worth of more Chinese goods that could be targeted with another 25% tariff. Apparently that is about one month until the US could enact those proposed tariffs. So still a little bit, bit of breathing room and room for negotiation. Many in the market remain invested on the hope that there is going to be a resolution But uh, it has been a a rough few days to try and weather, given the the escalation in some of the the Huawei issues. Let me take you elsewhere to U.S. yields. Uh, The market's also digesting the uh, Fed minutes yesterday. And a number of investors uh, still believe that we will get a rate cut this year. The yield on the US 10-year at 2.38 and we've got uh, the two-year note 2.21. But uh, the market's still somewhat nervous about the pace uh, given that there are recession fears in the background for a number of uh, big funds still as they weigh up the dynamics. Uh, let me take you to Qualcomm, the story that I mentioned, as investors have concerns still around the competition that uh, this company has been engaged in, in the States in that chip market, uh, FTC ruling really not going in its favour. So uh, 10.8% lower for Qualcomm shares. The Asian markets, uh, early part of this session uh, has been uh, fairly weak for a number of these key markets. You can see red splashing right up across the board uh, for the overall region, down around four-month lows as uh, they weigh up the trade winds. Uh, The Cosby uh, weathering uh, the day a little bit better than some of the other markets, but you've got eight-tenths down for the Shanghai Composite. The Hong Kong market shedding more than 350 points, or 1.3%, and Japanese stocks also reversing almost seven-tenths of a percent. The opening calls. Uh, we are uh, now in the middle of European elections, so we won't say too much about that, but this is how the markets are perched. Uh, we are in a media blackout with those European elections. When it comes to the UK, a lot of news flow around Brexit, uh, the fortunes of Theresa May, which we're about to get into. Currently, 34 down uh, is how we indicate indicated on the UK market, Jeff. Yes.
1: Very good morning, Karen. Uh, The pound continues to hover around four-month lows then after Theresa May suffered another Cabinet resignation and faced intensifying calls by some members of her own party to step down. Brexit supporter and Commons leader Andrea Leadsom resigned, saying the British Prime Minister's new withdrawal bill does not deliver... On the referendum, uh, Steve. As I read it uh, in the reports, she's lost thirty-six ministers so far. Twenty-one of them over Brexit specifically. Uh, now, with the departure of Andrea Leadsom, how close are we to Theresa Theresa May's own departure?
2: Um, it looks like we're very close if we read the commentary, if we listen to what other cabinet ministers are saying, if we look at what the party is saying as well. A whole host of events happened yesterday, are set to happen again tomorrow, and will happen over the next four to six weeks as well. Let's talk about what happened yesterday first of all. As you say, the 36th ministerial resignation, that was Andrea Leadsom, leader of the House, the lady who actually, very interestingly, went up against Theresa May in 2016 and over two rounds of ballots. And we can talk about the process for picking new leaders in a few moments' time. Over two rounds of ballots with members of Parliament didn't get to the country, and that's a very important point as well. Um, She lost against uh, Theresa May uh, and actually conceded after the second round as well, as Theresa May looked like she had a majority of MPs. So that's Andrea Leadsom. She also said that Mrs May's um, withdrawal agreement bill was deeply divisive and would not deliver the Brexit uh, as she envisaged it as well. But going on at the same time, of course, Mrs May had Prime Minister's question time Uh, and and of course that was before the resignation of Andrew Leadsom. In fact Andrew Leadsom and the likes of Liam Fox didn't even turn up on time for Prime Minister's question time, making a real point there as well uh, and showing a lack of support for the Prime Minister. But later on that day, and perhaps this is key, uh, there was a series of meetings with the 1922 committee chaired by Sir Graham Brady at which we understand sealed envelopes and voting intentions about changing rules for challenging a sitting Prime Minister, a sitting leader, Uh, were put in place as well and will only be opened if a meeting tomorrow with Sir Graham Brady and the Prime Minister goes badly, i.e. they look to change the rules where the Prime Minister cannot be challenged for 12 months as leader in a confidence vote. Uh, They will look to open those ballots and take a look and almost certainly it seems that she would be challenged. Um, if indeed she doesn't offer her resignation or at least a path to resignation. Now dates are being talked about, 7th of June I've seen mentioned, 10th of June mentioned looks more likely as well uh, because of course that is after the memorials um, to uh, the D-Day landings and the Trump visit next week as well, I beg pardon, on the 4th to the 6th of June as well, 6th of June being of course the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Thereafter it is assumed that will be the date of mrs may's resignation i do need to talk about what happens next as well because it's very interesting about the process people are talking about the runners and riders about who is uh, the po- most popular potential tory to take over from mrs may of course a lot of people look to boris johnson but i do want to look at history because we do need to look at history to see what could happen next now in 2005 There were three rounds of uh, parliamentary votes amongst MPs uh, amongst the 1922 committee. After the second round, Brexiteers were gaining uh, 55% of the vote. David Davis, 29%, and uh, Liam Fox, 26%. David Cameron had 45%, and only in the third round did he beat Mr. Davis as well. So, very interesting to see that, uh, not necessarily. The person who the country, i.e. the 124, 125,000 Conservative Party members would like to see as Prime Minister, would like to see as leader, not necessarily the person who becomes one of the final two, uh, and indeed uh, becomes Prime Minister of the country. Back to you.
3: Steve, thank you very much for fleshing out the latest there for us. Uh, Let's push on to the Federal Reserve and the minutes that uh, many investors were pouring through yesterday for any change in direction. The Federal Reserve is expected to maintain its patient approach to monetary policy for, quote, some time, according to the minutes from its latest meeting. Fed officials cited, quote, muted inflation pressures as one of the reasons to maintain rates, but said risks have moderated. Steve Liesman filed this report.
0: Minutes of the Fed's April-May meeting show the central bank is ready to be patient with its policy of patience when it comes to figuring out what to do next with interest rates. The Minutes say members of the Fed's rate-setting Open Market Committee believe a patient approach is appropriate, quote, for some time. It's the first time they've characterized a time period around their patient's language. Committee members believe the most likely outcome is a continued economic expansion, strong labor markets, and inflation rising back towards its 2% target. Inflation has been running below that target, and the question is whether officials are concerned enough about it to cut rates. The answer in the Minutes? Not yet, but maybe soon. Some officials say the downside risks to inflation have increased. And several said they're worried that if inflation doesn't head back up in coming quarters, they're worried that average Americans will start to doubt the Fed really means it when it says it wants 2% inflation. The implication? If inflation doesn't rise towards 2% in the coming quarters, the Fed could well be thinking about a rate cut, perhaps around the end of the year. All that said, there's a small wing of the committee that worries about the other side. They said if the economy evolves as they expect, they could see hiking rates. On the economy, the general view is that growth would slow this year from the 3% pace of 2018. But a better first quarter meant that it wouldn't slow as much as originally thought. The meeting took place before President Trump imposed new tariffs on China. So it won't be until the next meeting in June before markets will get a full view for how the tariffs have changed the Fed's outlook on growth, inflation, and rates. Steve Leesman, CNBC Business News, Washington.
1: Well, let's get some comments on this. Chris Jeffrey is with us, Fixed Income Strategist at LGIM. Chris, good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, Andrew Newington is with us, Chief Investment Officer at Actis. Uh, very good morning. Nice to good see morning. you, Andrew. Um, so let's just um, pick up on this. I mean, I guess we should say that these minutes come with a health warning because this is the back end of April, early May. and We've had quite a lot of movement on the trade story subsequently. But give us your thoughts. Uh, does this move the needle at all in terms of the market's understanding of where the Fed sits on the data and interest rates? So
4: I think exact, that's exactly the right context to be thinking about this. So we had Eric Rosengren, Boston um, Federal Reserve yesterday, kind of making the case that the Fed's forecasts are conditioned on an assumption that the trade wars normalise. And were that not to be the case, then they may have to revisit the case for kind of policy over the, over, the sec- over the next six months or so. Clearly things have evolved on the trade front. So we are, to a certain extent, looking at yesterday's news. But there were a few bits that were relevant. I think this emphasis of the word patient over and over and over again, they couldn't really have hammered that point much more clearly. And then for kind of real nerdy Fed watchers, there was an interesting discussion around the potential path for the balance sheet in the long run. It's kind of relevant for thinking about steepening risk in the curve, for example. Yeah, just
1: on that, I mean, given that this is very much in your wheelhouse as you think about where we might find value in the market at the moment, the fact that they had this conversation about the composition of the portfolio and whether there needs to be more shorter-dated securities in the, uh, uh, the portfolio, does that suggest there's an opportunity to, for the market to try to get ahead of the Fed a little bit in trying to think where the value may be?
4: Yeah, potentially. I mean, if you think that quantitative easing had an impact on interest rates on the way in, then it only makes sense that you think it has an interest impact on interest rates on the way out as well. I guess the point that they kind of came back to in the, in the minutes, though, is this is an incredibly elongated process. I mean, the Federal Reserve talked about a, an accelerated version of this change in the composition of the balance sheet. And accelerated meant something that would take place over five years. I mean, the gradual version is something that would take place over 15 years. Now, all investors like to say they have long-term investment horizons. I guess there aren't many of us who can sit patiently waiting for 15 years for something to come to fruition.
1: Andrew, just to bring you on on this, as we, as we think broadly across the market and different asset classes, um, has the Fed just effectively said the risk on trade is still safe in this market? We've got your back. I think they've said they're going to be patient, and I
5: think that's the interpretation a lot of investors will take away from that. They're going to look at the data, they're going to wait to see what comes through uh, over the coming months. I mean, I think the full impact of the trade war, what else is going on in China, hasn't really come through in inflation, doesn't look to be coming through in inflation forecasts. Uh, but could that come through in due course? I think it could. And at that point, you'll see some some reaction. Uh, but they're clearly under some pressure to you know continue to communicate their forward expectation. And that's what we'll see, I think, in the quarters to come.
3: Andrew, when we uh, question a lot of people around the set, uh, we, we ask them about the big issues that they're concerned about. And the number one that crops up is the Fed. The Fed's the, the most important party in the room in terms of how much it's loosening, how much it's tightening. But as we weigh up now an escalation of trade war, and there are a number of variables here, we could see another $300 billion worth of goods targeted company specific targets that has ramifications for other american companies what's the potential for the trade war the worst case scenario to impact economic growth in the states what sort of reversal could we expect
5: I think you're already seeing uh, U.S. companies present in China reporting increased difficulty in doing business, uh, increased challenges in managing the regulatory pressures that they're under within China. And obviously people have said, I think, fairly clearly that it's the U.S. consumer ultimately who's going to suffer uh, from the imposition of tariffs. And although it's also been said that Chinese companies will absorb a lot of that additional cost, clearly that's not infinite. That ability to absorb cost is not infinite, and it will f- filter through. Hence why I made my earlier comments on the impact on inflation uh, of changes uh, you know, in uh, in that tariff policy. Uh, so I think we, we do have uh, difficult news potentially on the horizon, uh, and it affects obviously not just the US-China nexus, but also the supply chains in broader Asia uh, that are all being impacted by those reduced volumes.
3: That R word is still floating around the market somewhere, recession, so potential for, for that to happen. What are the chances in, in your book?
4: So we think that what well, the baseline chance of recession in any given year for the US is around 15%. We think we're at that number or marginally higher, conditioned on the current tariff environment. But Andrew's kind of made kind of an excellent point here that the, the, the ramping up of tariffs, if it continues, will stop being an issue that affects corporate America and starts being an issue that affects household America. And at that point is where we would expect to see it really biting on, on US GDP growth. Kind of on our estimates, if we go to the kind of nuclear option of tariffs on all US, um, US imports from China, we're talking about a hit to US GDP of maybe half a percent. On its, own, on its own, is that big enough to drive a recession? Probably not. But it's unlikely to be an environment in which there's um, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings um, from financial investors about the outlook for the economy. You get a, um, an uncertainty effect that compounds that. So the full tariff war scenario, we think, is something which does make the US flirt dangerously close to a recession scenario.
1: And, and yet this could also be inflationary, even Absolutely. as we have a re- recession. So as I read your notes, you're leaning towards tips at this point. Just walk us through the trade for a moment. Well, it's, 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 I think
4: the first, first place we start tonight is well, what is the market pricing? So the market pricing in the tips market is incredibly benign for the inflation outlook. Mm-hmm. Depending on exactly which measure you take, you've got an inflation outlook of around one7 to 1.8% priced in um, for the long term. Now, we know that the Fed is making this move towards some kind of average inflation target. Seems like the, the likely outcome of their framework review. So if anything, that means we should have a higher inflation risk premium um, embedded in the market as a product of that. That's one factor. And the tariff effect, yes, we, we don't know exactly how big it would be. But thus far, there is absolutely zero evidence that um, uh, the, the tariffs that have been imposed are being absorbed by, by China. They're being, they're being absorbed by the US corporate sector. If, that's, if that swings to being a household um, uh, tariff effect, then we've got, we're going to see an impact on inflation of not huge, but 30 or 40 basis points potentially over the next couple of years. And, that, and that's big enough to matter given where market pricing is.
3: Just a, a quick comment from you on what to do with fixed income. We're looking at some boards and you can see how far we, we've moved from some of the high levels on the 10-year the yield. But where's the value? If you're looking to be invested in a fixed income at the moment, where do you see the opportunities?
4: Uh, so, sovereign fixed income we're talking or, or, or broader?
3: Well, it can be more broad. I mean, it doesn't have to be sovereign. Where do you think that is the best place to try and play this market?
4: Well, this is kind of tiptoeing into, into Andrew's world somewhat, but I we'll think some of the best value is found in emerging market securities. So um, if we kind of look on a kind of ratings-adjusted basis, there's a discount for emerging market debt relative to corporate debt that you find in uh, the US or the European markets. Um, you need to be, a, you need to be a, a, an investor with sufficient risk appetite, obviously, to, to kind of be thinking about, about those sorts of securities. But then similarly, um, within the Eurozone, there is still plenty of value on offer. It just comes with kind of headline political
1: risk, if you so kind of look on, at it. On that emerging, is that, is that dollar debt, or is that local currency debt?
4: We like both with a preference for the dollar side. Right, Okay.
1: Uh, We've got to wrap it up, Chris. Nice to see you this morning. Thanks very much for coming in. Uh, Chris Jeffrey, fixed-income strategist at LGIM. Andrew, if you can hang on, we'll come back. We'd love to get your thoughts on what's going on in India and some of these other emerging economies. Uh, Still to come on the programme, Huawei prepares to go solo if the firm is blocked from using US technology. Bit of a scoop for our technology reporter, Arjun, who's got a timeline on Huawei's own operating system. The U.S. negotiating team has no current plans to travel to Beijing for trade talks. The U.S. Treasury Secretary has said Stephen Mnuchin made the comment on his way into a House Financial Services Committee hearing where he told lawmakers Presidents Trump and Xi would most likely meet at the end of June. He said he was, quote, still hopeful that we can get back to the table.
3: Japan's Panasonic has become the latest company to suspend business with Huawei amid US trade restrictions. The company said it had stopped shipments and instructed employees to halt transactions with the Chinese tech giant and 68 affiliate companies. That's after the SoftBank-owned British chip designer Arm also cut ties, citing US origin technology in both current and future chip designs. Huawei could have its own operating system ready to go this year. If it's completely cut off by Google and Microsoft, a top executive has told CNBC. Let's get out to Arjun for more out of Hong Kong. And Arjun, you've broken this story. It's been one of the big questions out there in the market. How quickly could Huawei bring its own operating system? Give us a sense of the time frame and anything that it brings to the market. How good would it be? How key a rival to Google could Huawei be on this service?
6: Those are very key questions you're asking there, Karen. And just in terms of that timeline first, well, uh, I spoke to Richard Yu, who's the CEO of Huawei's consumer division, uh, over the phone earlier today. And he suggested that a version uh, of its own operating system in China could be ready by fall this year, and then an international version for all of its uh, global markets could be ready by either the first or second quarter of next year. So this is uh, something that's still potentially a few months off. Obviously, they're ramping up production on this just in case that they're not allowed to use uh, Google and Microsoft's uh, software. Google is the main partner for Huawei for its smartphones. Uh, Huawei smartphones run uh, Android operating system outside of China. In China, it's a modified version of Android but has no Google services on it um, because Google's blocked in China. But internationally, that's the big deal here because if all of uh, these Googles, if, if Huawei's phone ship with Android, but with no Google services or anything else on it, that could be a big turnoff for consumers. And that's why it's turned to its own operating system. Richard, you told me that the company's operating system would have its own app store, which is calling the App Gallery. So that would hopefully uh, help it give consumers access to some of the apps that they know uh, and love. But Mr. You did stress that this is Plan B only if um, Google and Microsoft do uh, eventually end up not being allowed to uh, sell software to Huawei. I think the important thing here is, is those questions you raised. How good is it going to be? Well, we have no sense of what the operating system at the moment looks like, and it needs to have a good user experience on par with Google's Android because this is what Huawei's uh, consumers and users expect now. From the company's devices from a software front of course the other big question is are app makers on board because if you're buying a device but you can't get access to all the apps that you want because they're not supported by huawei's new app store and operating system that's a huge huge problem uh, particularly when consumers are thinking about what smartphone uh, to have next and of course will consumers be ready to try out the new operating system even if it does come to market? Those are going to be some of the the crucial questions. And there's two outcomes here. One, we could have a brand new third player because of Huawei's scale when it comes to operating system next to iOS and Android. But on the other hand, it could be heavily damaging if consumers don't take the bite and try this new operating system out. That could really hurt Huawei's sales internationally when it comes to its consumer business. Guys, back to you.
1: Arjun, thank you very much. Andrew Newington is still with us, Chief Investment Officer of uh, Actis. Um, Andrew, we've gone from uh, there'll be a deal soon. How do you position for the uptick for markets to we're in a phase of uncertainty as the predominant investment theme? How do you build a portfolio for where we are now in this trade dispute?
5: Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, it's clearly a challenge. Um, And with interest rates where they are, you know, the the risks are are on the downside there as as the Fed seeks to combat that pressure it's receiving politically for further easing, and yet the the threat of inflation driven by those trade wars are also on the horizon. So it's certainly a challenging time in which to put together a portfolio. I mean, I think, you know, we look very much at the Chinese domestic market for for investment opportunities. And there you still continue to see good secular growth in certain sectors. But there's no doubt that the level of confidence Confidence for international investors going into China has been massively impacted.
3: When it comes to uh, the way the Huawei story has played out, more and more companies seem to get trapped in the mix uh, from the semiconductors in the States to even Google, we've heard this morning from Panasonic to Arm, uh, the ability to do business. What we now have is a very much a growth part of the market that's been targeted with measures and nobody really knows ramifications, even the companies themselves have to sort of rake through the documents to try and work out what they can and can't do. How limiting is that for investors who've just seen tech as a, a clear way to play growth?
5: I think it's relatively confined. Uh, to the hardware side of tech at this point in time, but could that spread beyond? I think it could. Do you
3: believe that? Because what we've heard this week has been around services, around software. It
5: will spread, I think, but in the first instance it's supply chain, it's componentry within the supply chain that's being targeted by these tariffs, and that's what you see. It's uncertainty over how that is going to be sustainable in the context of effectively a lower profit environment driven by those tariffs. Now, clearly, you know, I think President Trump sees this in some way as tax collection, tax collection in, uh, potentially in respect of past dues. So there 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 is the opportunity, if if the US government does collect significant tariff revenue, for them to reinvest that in further fiscal stimulus. So you can see the other side of the equation as well, but certainly for those tech companies that are involved in those challenges today, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. And you take a core element of componentry or software out of your device, replacing it is not tomorrow's solution, it's tomorrow's problem. It'll take you longer than that to do so. And the problem with tariffs is they arrive overnight. So it's not something that the business leader can necessarily plan for in thinking about that supply chain or thinking about their R&D investment.
1: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.